Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. We're all still abiding by California shelter-in-place laws and social distancing in our apartments. Hey guys, how's it going? Fantastic. I get to watch this cat this whole time. Uh, It's going to be the best podcast yet. Uh, On today's podcast, we'll be talking about Snowpiercer. Finally, the embargo is lifted. It's up. It's out. Uh, People know. The upcoming fall television schedule and delving into something we've all been working on over the course of the past couple of weeks. IndieWire Emmy Awards Spotlight. This is the millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Ben, we teased a little in the open. You've been on board the Snowpiercer <laughs> train for months now. Any any listeners oh, know yeah. that you know you you were threatening to write a weekly column. Uh, you still might. Still might about about what each each subsequent episode of Snowpiercer means for its Emmy chances. Mm-hmm. Now that you've seen it and you reviewed it, it's up on the site. What can you tell us? I mean, technically, I could tell you the entire first season because well, I've don't seen spoil it. it. Just tell, um, just tell, just tell us generally. But I don't, I don't want to. I don't. I would never do that to you, Leo. I know you're looking forward to enjoying it on a weekly basis uh, with the rest of America. And um, again, I think for long time, for long time listeners, I don't get access to screeners. <laughs> well, you do sometimes. Sometimes you got like the Westworld screeners, and um, I got Westworld, Witcher, Living with Yourself. Yeah, that's it. All right, so Ben, we kind of got off track. We, we flew off track. Let's get back <laughs> on the right track, the Snowpiercer track. So obviously for those on the uninitiated, Snowpiercer was a film directed by Bong Joon-ho based on a graphic novel uh, several, year, several years ago, uh, starred Chris Evans and Ed Harris and- uh, Chris Evans' people. beard. Chris, it did start Chris Evans' beard. Uh, and ostensibly- Tilda. Tilda Swinton. It is, it is a, it's class warfare across, you know, from, from the caboose to the engine of a train where, you know, Caboose? <laughs> that's a Caboose. word. That's a train God, word. That's it's absolutely a train a, word. Caboose it's just... is such an inherently funny word that <laughs> to talk about it, especially in the in the within well, they, the confines of Snowpiercer, is just such a, I guess, such a fantastic juxtaposition. I guess in both in both the film and now in the TV show, they refer to it as a tale, which is probably <laughs> makes <laughs> makes for well, less less giggles in a very like serious drama. Show. There's a network note. Can we not not refer to it as a caboose? (laughs) Ben, we got off track yet again. (laughs) What can you tell us about Snowpiercer? Um, I think the most important thing to know about Snowpiercer is simply that if you come into it with any expectations whatsoever, if you read the news about the impending disaster that this production seemed like it would be, 
Um, that's not entirely accurate. And if you watched the movie and became a fan of, of that story and the way it was told, um, that is not going to prepare you for what the show is trying to do. Um, even fans of like the graphic novel and its sequels and a lot of the kind of Snowpiercer lore that surrounds it, uh, none of it really meshes with what this TNT series is trying to be, which is just another TNT science fiction show. Um, anybody who saw Falling Skies, you know, 10 years ago, anybody who watched The Last Ship for its, I think it got to seven seasons, which is just unbelievable. Um, it did more seasons than anyone expected, nevertheless. Uh, anybody who watched those shows and understood that kind of uh, basic cable sci-fi format will quickly identify that that's what Snowpiercer is. Um, it is rather jarring to watch the film and then start the show because of how starkly different similar events are portrayed. And um, to best exemplify that, I think all you need to say about Snowpiercer so that people are ready is that most of the first half of the season is about a train detective. (laughs) And they really do use that word repeatedly and i really don't understand why it it's never explained it's supposed to be something that's like inherent to this world and yet there isn't a trained detective before this person is asked to become the trained detective there's no reason why they call him a trained detective instead of just a detective because all the other people on the train are called you know the normal job titles they have it's not like a trained janitor it's just a janitor but also you know it's it's very bright it's very big there's a lot of space there's a thousand and one cars, so it's just a never-ending kind of train instead of one that you could actually, like the movie portrays, travel from the first or from the back to the front, the um, caboose, in like a long <laughs> from the tail to the engine in a uh, in a very effective two-hour movie. Um, but no, it's it's fine for what it is if that's what you want to get out of it. But for all the people who have this kind of fandom around bong and bong's movies and we're hoping that it would be kind of a prestige tv event or even anybody who's watching tnt lately and is more inclined to like something that's you know uh, the alienist or i am the knight or claws like those kind of tonal advancements it's not dark and twisted like that there's some there's a lot of violence um but it's just so familiar compared to what we saw with that jarring film and what we read in the comic book that it just doesn't feel uh that exciting are the inciting events in the show the same as those in the movie no um well the global warming the shooting a chemical into the atmosphere and it turns the planet into a ice planet yes this is where we get into into pseudo spoiler territory um then don't tell me right the, the the basic structure that you're alluding to in the sense that everyone had to flee a freezing planet to get onto this train and the only like the the survivors are circling the globe on board that's all there like all of that's the same um but other little things pop in and out that take their own route and um you know if you're again if you're open to kind of letting the story go anywhere instead of the predetermined course that you had from other ideas then then you know you might enjoy it especially if you just enjoy those kind of shows um but i will say i mean for all of the hubbub going into it for the showrunner switch 
the fact that the pilot had two directors, all the reshoots, um, bouncing between TNT to TBS, back to TNT. Uh, it is exactly what it wants to be. Like it is not, it does not feel like a messy show. It feels messy when you try to apply other, you know, expectations to it. But when you just watch it for what it is, it's like, this makes sense. Everything about this, it might be stupid. It might be silly. It might be totally inconsistent. It not, it might be, uh, visually just absent of all kind of authenticity. Um, but it is, that's exactly what they want. They want to show that people will be comfortable watching and that's what they're getting. So should I start a rewatch of falling skies? <laughs> I would say, I would say no, I think you're okay. I, should I start a rewatch of Franklin and bash. I mean, that would prepare you just as well and probably be funnier. <laughs> Though there are some funny moments in Stoker's guys. So obviously with this, uh, pandemic and all the things that have, that have happened, a lot of things have been canceled. Uh, upfronts were canceled. TCAs aren't happening. So I think a and this is sort of in your world, Ben and Libby, but like in a time when we, you guys would normally know what the fall schedule looked like, that really hasn't happened. And so, but now things are starting to fall into place as if like things are returning to normal. <laughs> I mean, they want it to look that way. Okay. They, I think they're striving for normalcy and consistency Especially after, and when I say they, I'm talking about the broadcast networks, especially after, you know, so much of the immediate buzz when production stopped was that we're not going to have a fall season, was that so many of these shows aren't going to be able to come back because they literally can't be shot. There's, they didn't shoot anything in advance because that's not how these shows work. Um, so, you know, sequel seasons uh, that people are anticipating to return in the fall, like, you know, Grey's Anatomy, that's just not going to happen. Um, and even some of the new shows that, you know, would have gone into, would have come out of the pilot season, just none of that is going to, is going to, you know, show up in a timely manner. Uh, but they're trying to give us something new. They're trying to give us a few new shows and a few returning shows and a few shows we've seen on other networks, uh, just not as widely accessible as broadcast. So it's going to be a weird fall, but it's going to be a fall. As somebody who enjoys kind of tracking ratings and just viewership and kind of when something becomes aware in a, in a, in a greater sense of the word, I'm excited to see kind of how something like charter spectrums, LA's finest, the Gabriel union and Jessica Alba bad boys spinoff, which debuted uh, its first season already and has season two in the can on charter. Uh, now that it's going to be on Fox, I'm excited to see if people actually care about it. Like nobody talked about it when it came out because it's just too limited of an audience, especially for people to talk about online. Um, but now that it's hitting Fox, it'll be curious to see if it gets some sort of second life through that. Um, it's interesting to hear that conversations are ongoing about Mad About You, the revival season that also aired on Charter Spectrum, being sold to another broadcast company because, you know, NBC also needs a lot of help in the coming months so um i i'm curious about stuff like that but there hasn't been a show where it's like oh they saved it like because again that would usually require production so we're seeing something that they're just bringing it over from uh either a group that's selling like sony pictures which owns uh la's finest is is open to new distribution avenues or it's something internal where you know uh, viacom cbs is moving properties between its 
its different networks. Well, and that's that's what I'm interested in right now, Ben, is I'm wondering if we will see more things like that happening. Um, like during the writer's strike back in back in 2007, 2008, um, they would recut episodes of Dexter and air them on CBS because of a shortage of programming and also because Dexter was ridiculously popular at that time. So why not have it matineeing on your your big broadcaster? And I'm wondering if if there is there is an opportunity to do that. Like I would think that in an age where everything ends up basically on your streaming site anyway, why not also have it airing on TV or your partner networks or whatever i would think that all of it ends up adds up to more money in your pocket which is going to be more valuable than ever in this economic slowdown no absolutely and i feel like especially with what you're talking about with dexter you know we've already seen the good fight as something on cbs all access get cut into uh, an arable version on cbs and that's a show that has constant critical support and yet we don't know really how many people are watching it because it's only available on CBS All Access. If they can use that show to help drive people to the streamer for future seasons by airing early ones now, then it's a win-win across the board. Um, at the same time, we've seen in the past when streaming services are getting ready to launch, Disney had the big event with The Little Mermaid Live where when they were airing that, they had all the advertisements and synergy for Disney Plus so that people would be aware that that was coming out so that they knew they could watch this on Disney Plus. They could watch The Old Little Mermaid on Disney Plus. And that'll work for future seasons. Like, I, I'm, I'd almost be surprised at this point if something like The Mandalorian didn't air on ABC because of how aggressive Disney has been in, um, you know, cross synergy, like synergy across its networks. Um, and the fact that they've got season two done and it's in post-production and they're hoping to still air it this year, it would make perfect sense for them to spend eight weeks airing season one on ABC leading up to the release of season two on Disney Plus so that people would subscribe. Also, those episodes are kind of a weird length, right? Don't they, don't they often land somewhere between 35 minutes and 45 minutes, which would put many of them at the perfect running time to air on broadcast television. Yeah, and there was, there was talk about them doing that even before. There was talking about them airing, you know, early episodes. That was me too. <laughs> that wasn't uh, right, to, but I'm just going to keep pitching it until no, it happens. It, 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 it's something that makes sense. It's something that you have to believe was talked about in, you know, at Disney, at Disney Plus, at ABC. Um, because of the episode runtime, because the content isn't something that wouldn't, you know, that would require restrictions right. uh, on from the FTC. So it's um, it's something I'm definitely expecting to see people experiment with. It'll just be curious to find out which shows they want to right. experiment with, which ones are so valuable that they have to keep them on their streaming service and be like, no, 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 that'll draw people on its own to the ones where it's like, no, 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 this is a great tease to, to lure people in and hook them so that they'll, you know, become streaming subscribers, especially something like HBO Max, which is, you know, condensing a lot right. of networks into one thing and is about to launch. And, um, you know, they've been very aggressive about how much programming they have. And at the same time, it's not as logical as Disney. It doesn't fall into the same 
you know, kind of predictable Pixar Marvel bins where you're like, okay, all of this is going to be there. It's like, okay, so wait, what's on HBO Max? They've got South Park. They've got Rick and Morty. They've got Friends. Like, why? So um, it'll be curious to kind of see how these things develop and turn into uh, saviors for broadcast or at least, you know, stop gaps. They've got Joker. <laughs> no. HBO Max does. <laughs> We're not yeah, going to do this. They do have it. <laughs> it is a true state. So guys, I mentioned it before, but for the past couple of weeks, we've been conducting interviews via Zoom with various actors for our... Is this the first iteration? Mm-hmm. Of IndieWire Emmy Award Spotlight. I'm new here, so I don't know how many times you guys did this before I existed. Uh, Award Spotlight is something that we've been doing on the film side for some time now. This is the first time clearly we're doing a version for the Emmys. We had such great plans for this. We had a brand new studio in place at at our office in the PMC building. Um, We were going to have people come in. We were going to be within six feet of them, having conversations about their work, about television. But, you know, life and and very serious things happen. So we rolled with it. And I think what we've done is we have sought out some of our favorite performances, some of our favorite creators, and um, they have been generous enough to make Zoom calls with us, um, jump on the jump, not only jump on the phone, but jump in front of their video camera, jump in the shower first for the first time in who knows how long. Some of them. them. Yeah, that's fair but uh and and invite us into their homes virtually uh to talk with us um during this oppressively difficult time um and it's special it makes it kind of special there is a certain amount of intimacy to it um there is a certain amount of we're all in this together and i think that we think uh, also Thanks to my co-host Ben and thanks to Leo, who who is putting all of this material together. We made something really special and we had some really great conversations with people. Um, so far, um, Jeremy Strong, our, our talk with Succession star Jeremy Strong has gone live. He was amazing. Um, I don't know that I've talked to a more thoughtful actor about the process and about the industry and... He's definitely like 15 times better read than I am. And uh, yeah, uh, the Jeremy Strong interview was I I was talking to actually talking to the film team on Monday uh, just sort of to give them general parameters as to like when we do these Zoom interviews, how much of it ends up in the final video. And I think you talked to Jeremy for 35 minutes and it was so difficult to like cut that down because so much of it was like, man, this guy really knows his shit and that's something i don't talk about too when i'm reaching out to these publicists i originally went out for like 15 20 minutes because that was the plan but once you start talking to these people about their work they're so giving of their time they're so thoughtful um all of these interviews ran long (laughs) but if they're long videos then then trust that it's it's because they're saying interesting things um things that people who love television are are interested in and um, and I don't know I think it reflects really well 
on the site because we have really good taste and we want you to know about these people. We want you to know about these performances. We want you to know about these shows, especially when everyone's stuck at home and looking for ways to take their mind off of their troubles. I don't know. I'm really proud of it. And it's so uncool to be proud of something, but um, we made something cool. Uh, if you're a listener and you find the videos to be too long, please email me at lgarcia at indiewire.com and tell me the videos are too long. I just, I just think, and this is my, this might be, this is not for the podcast, but just for me. But I, I find that like, if I'm interested in a person, I will watch 20 minutes of them talking. And so I think that that's sort of where, where I land on like, if Jeremy Strong is talking about his process for season two of Succession and what, and, and how he made, you know, Kendall Roy disappear into this like black void of nothingness. Uh, I want to, I want to listen to all of it. It's, it's something I, it's something I like, I grapple with in terms of what, of what does the video look like? Cause if that video is just him going, yeah, I knew, I knew I make that decision the entire season. And then it's him talking about the rap. It's like, what the fuck was that video? I was looking at our, at the list of people we got and I am so thrilled with, with some of the people we were who sat down to talk to us. Ben, you talked to both Rami Youssef and Laura Linney. Like, that's bananas. And I uh, executed all of my powers and spoke to Pamela Adlin instead of Ben. Um, <laughs> but the people we talked to, and honestly, yeah, the people we talked to were amazing. They, many of them are unsung. Uh, many of them deserve people talking about them all the time. Um, I finally got to talk to Jeffrey Wright, which is all that really matters. And, I don't <laughs> and Jean know. Smart. And Jean Smart. Oh my God, she was so good. I think that's the I think that's the beauty of this kind of project, and it often is a topic of discussion whenever the Emmys roll around because people, you know, people with all award shows, they get a little weird about you know if they're not upset, as obsessed as you are, they don't really understand why an obsession like that would grow or, or why as a writer or um, a critic, you would be excited to kind of dig into this award show, especially when you're so frustrated by the results most of the time, or, you know, plenty of your favorite shows don't make the cut. Um, and that's why this part of the season is so important. And so exciting to me is because we get to use our elevated voice, our website, our, um, I mean, our artistic designs, especially now that we've got the video behind it, to um, to, to push these people um, into the conversation and help remind not just voters, but, you know, the culture at large that these people did something excellent, that they right. are pursuing their artistic, you know, uh, bent, their their goals, their dreams, they're, they're trying to... Um, express themselves in really really exciting ways and when there is so much tv when there is so much to talk about all the time and when you lose control of what's being talked about because you know this network or the star is attached and you have to talk about that for that week or you have to address that the next day or um you know the news cycle is is pushing you into one corner this lets you kind of break up the news cycle and talk about things that actually resonated with you right. and all of the people on this list are people who resonated with me over the past year. And that's an exciting thing to 
to be a part of. And um, again, I think it's something that provides a valuable service. I hope it provides service to everybody who's listening to this, just in terms of um, what you want to be watching, like what you want to, not only what you want to um, kind of hear about and be, you know, I'm apologizing now, berated about uh, from a critic standpoint in terms of, hey, you dummy, why are you watching that show and you should be watching this one? Um, but hopefully these, you know, conversations can provide a more inviting inroads to you enjoying more things about television and not only more things, but better things, uh, which is my very obvious plug for better things because it's the best thing on TV. What an amazing segue. A segue. Uh, my most, the most memorable part of the Pamela Adlon uh, interview from from my end is her screaming, her and Libby like screaming in, in unison at me. Just fucking do it, Leo. <laughs> yeah, she has that way about her. Just wait for the podcast. Oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait. That's, uh, that's a good way of telling people that we're going to have pa- Pamela Adlon on the podcast. Yeah. We're, oh, we're hey. Using- we're gonna have Pamela Adlin on, on the on the podcast. Libby spoke about her powers earlier, and we're conjuring our collective powers to, to get behind Pamela Adlon every opportunity we can get because that show is uh, is something special. Uh, I just want to make sure for my own uh, purposes. Did do we still have an ask out for a Werner Herzog? Because I thought we were we were on the we were gonna push we we're pushing for him. Looks at Libby. He wouldn't do it without Baby Yoda. Okay. <laughs> Boys. Mm-hmm. I have a question that I ask you every week on the podcast. That yes. is Is Quibby dead yet? No. I guess But not. it is on the ropes. Tell Accord- me more. Self self professed. I mean you guys obviously saw the news. Uh this Katzenberg article. Uh, in the New York Times, where he referenced that uh, there were some missteps, maybe, and then blamed a lot of the failures on the pandemic. All of the All failures. Of <laughs> yes, All we've of seen the failures it. on the pandemic. Everyone. The and buck then... stops with COVID nineteen. Was, was this was the hundreds a remark just a little faux pas? Like was that just a little like I didn't mean to let the cat out of the box? But I, it's the way that people say billions and billions of stars. <laughs> It's like the wrong form of exaggeration. He went the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, it has. I mean, even if it has millions of people, it does have hundreds of people still. Dozens. <laughs> there are, there are <laughs> hundreds of people in millions of people. Dozens. But there's about less. to be one less. Leonardo, uh, it is time to unsubscribe. All right. Manage subscriptions. Renewal receipts. Libby, will Can there be... Will there be any sort of obstacle that gets in the way of what Leo's about to accomplish? Will something come up that keeps him a Quibi subscriber at the last second, or will he follow through? Uh, I think he's going to follow through. I, I believe in our boy. Like I think he can pull this off. Um, my one concern is that the app re-downloads itself for some reason, uh, which you never know. Yeah, I'd right. be most suspicious of. That's what I'm. That's what I'm most worried about. He looks determined. We just saw him push the button. Confirmed. Uh, I am. I am worried that Quibi will will become sentient and uh, reinstall itself. Overnight. I I am concerned that uh, the nefarious plans of COVID nineteen will continue to interfere with Quibi's uh, operations, and somehow we'll all be resubscribed and our money taken. So I did unsubscribe. 
But what scares me is that I have four options for Quibi as opposed to two. So I hope I didn't sign up twice oh, or God. something. I don't like how that looks. Twice. Yeah, that's... But it says it says that I, my subscription will end July 5th, 2020. I will not get charged. Nicely done, Leo. I'm proud of so you. So I got to watch all my Reno 911 now. Did you guys want to talk any more about Katzenberg's uh, New York Times uh, piece? It was stupid and... Everyone knows it's not <laughs> it's not the virus's fault. Like, yes, it wasn't ideal for them, but I don't think they suddenly messed out missed out on this opportunity that I think actually COVID is the perfect excuse for them to to kind of muddy the waters as far as the mismanagement of the open. Um, it's a very convenient excuse to be like, well, pandemic, that's why we have soft numbers. Uh, when in reality, no one was asking for your product, no one was asking for your content, and no one wants to pay money for it. So, I would have been interested to see a world, uh, obviously, I mean, when coronavirus just didn't happen in general, but, but also when coronavirus didn't happen, and when Quibi actually obtained and launched with strong programming, because I think one of the things that has gone, you know, because it's it's subjective, and yet fairly uniform is that most of the Quibi shows are very bad. And one of the pinnacles of just about any successful launch of a streaming service has been that they have a show. They have something that people can't stop talking about. And Quibi does not have that. They've, they've almost relied on the fact that their name is silly as their biggest marketing ploy, going back to the ads that I once was a fan of. So I, I mean, I think I'd be, I think that there is a, a reality in which Quibi could have made more of a dent than it has so far, but to say that it's only because of the pandemic is overlooking a lot of flaws that people have immediately pointed out upon launch. I, you know, I, I can't even agree with you as far as that, Ben, because I don't think there is a version, I mean... I don't think there's an immediate version of Quibi that has great programming from the jump just because like Apple, you are dealing with people who don't necessarily have a lot of experience in creating entertainment content. Um, uh, I mean, Katzenberg, obviously whatever, but like they don't, they don't know how to do TV. Like they don't know what they're doing and they don't care. They're just going to throw money and at names and hope for the best. And that's just not a business plan. Like I was a banker and someone came in and was like, I want a loan and here's my business plan. I'm going to give Christy Teigen $10 million and give her a judge show. I'd be like that. I don't, I don't think that's a good investment. I don't, I don't like that. Um, so yes, it's possible that it involves someone with actual network. Like if they get Kevin Riley involved, maybe like, does that make any sense? I mean, say what you will about Apple or say what you will about the morning show, but like the morning show was this big event, like or big TV sort of juggernaut that people were, it'd be hard to ignore. I don't think, I don't think there's anything like that in the, the pantheon of Quibi shows. There's no, like, ig- non-ignorable show. Well, listen, the morning show looked like several million dollars. 
nothing on Quibi looks like $2.3 billion. But why would you spend that much for something you're going to watch on your phone? Yeah, no, and I think this is this is the the core of it. Like, I completely agree with everything Libby said. I don't think that there is a world in which they would have uh, been able to create a program that would have been great to see how it performed. And yet, I do believe that you can stumble into good programming if you just have enough money and hire enough people, even though Apple seems to be struggling with this. Uh, so... There is, it's just that kind of weird scenario where it's like, I would have loved to know, I would have loved to see a conversation, like a more kind of heated, focused look at a lot of people using this thing, trying to access the one show that, that was popular and they, and they struggled with all the other factors, if only to bring those factors, you know, to further light. Because we had the opening week, we all talked about it. They said they were going to fix a couple of them. They said the rest wasn't real, and here we are still. So it's just it's just kind of over. Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite leftovers characters are Nora Durst, Erica Murphy, and Frasier, the sensual lion. This is a show... <laughs> I gotta get into. What about Kevin? I love Kevin. I almost put Kevin for you, uh, Libby, but I, I, I didn't know. You can find us on Twitter at Fraser the Sensual Lion, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So please leave a review. Let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on air. And if it's bad, we'll try to delete it from the internet. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> with Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.